Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verses 32 through 34, here's the parable of the fig tree. And the fig tree represents who? Israel. He says, when you see the fig tree bud. In other words, when Israel becomes a nation again. And it happened in 1948. The world is about to enter into a time of great deception. A time, if it were possible, that even the elect would be deceived. In fact, deception will be the primary sign that precedes the second coming of Jesus Christ. Turn to Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 through 4, and I'll show you what I'm talking about. Notice what it says. And Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. And he answered and said to them, Do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here shall be left upon another, which will not be torn down. And as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Now, this passage of Scripture is known as the Olivet Discourse. And of course, most of you know that the Olivet Discourse has to do with the end times. Now, Matthew doesn't tell us which of the disciples actually approached Jesus, but Mark does. In Mark chapter 13, verse number 3, it says that it was Peter, James, John, and Andrew, two sets of brothers, who approached Jesus. And they asked him three questions. The first was, when will these things be? These things refer to the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. In fact, Luke gives us a little more information concerning this first question. Look at Luke chapter 21, verses 6 and 7. The time is coming when all these things will be completely demolished, referring to the buildings at the temple on the Temple Mount. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Teacher, they asked, when will all this happen? What sign will show us that these things are about to take place? So the first question is actually two questions. When will Jerusalem and the temple be destroyed and what will the sign, what will be the sign that it's about to happen? So that's the first question. When will the temple be destroyed and what will be the sign that it's about to happen? The second question was, what will be the sign of your coming? Look back at Matthew chapter 24 verse 3. And as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming? Now, this question has nothing to do with the rapture. Remember, the rapture is imminent. That means it can happen at any time and there aren't any prophetical events that must occur before it can happen. In other words, there won't be a sign that the rapture is about to take place. It'll just happen. So this question is not referring to the rapture. It's referring to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And those are two different events. In other words, what's the sign that precedes the second coming of Jesus Christ? That's what the disciples wanted to know. The third question was, what will be the sign at the end of the age, or I should say, that the end of the age has begun? Look back again at Matthew 24, verse 3. And as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when will these things be? In other words, when will the temple be destroyed? And what will be the sign of your coming? 
and of the end of the age. You see, in Jesus' day, day, the rabbi spoke of two ages. The present age in which we are now living and the age to come, which is the messianic age. What we refer to as the millennium. You see, the apostles believed in the millennium. A time when the Messiah would come and rule over this earth. Now, for all of you preterists, you have a lot of explaining to do. And the reason I say that is, you see, the, temple, the second temple Jews, in other words, the Jews at the time of Jesus, they believed in the Messianic age. In other words, the millennium. Jesus believed in the Messianic age, the millennium. The apostles believed in the Messianic age, the millennium. The early church believed in the Messianic age, in other words, the millennium. Now, you're going to have to explain, if you're a preterist, why they were all wrong, especially Jesus. Now, I'm sure I'll have a preterist come up to me or actually write me, and they'll say this. Well, Jesus said this generation will not pass till they see all these things appear. So he was talking to this generation, his generation. No, he wasn't. Not at all. Go back and read that in context. And if you can translate it from the original Greek, please do. Because you'll realize how wrong you are. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verses 32 through 34, here's the parable of the fig tree. And the fig tree represents who? Israel. He says, when you see the fig tree bud. In other words, when Israel becomes a nation again. And it happened in 1948. The nation of Israel disappeared in 70 A.D. When the temple was destroyed. And it has not been a nation until 1948. Yeah. And then he said, this generation. What generation? The generation that sees Israel become a nation again. They will not pass till they see all these things that have occurred. Yeah. Jesus believed in the Messianic age. He was speaking to the generation that will see Israel become a nation. So if you were born after 1948, take hope. If you live long enough, you'll experience the rapture. I was born in 1960. I'm going to get to experience the rapture if I don't die prematurely. But anyways... Here's what the disciples were asking. They were asking, what's the sign that the end of this age has begun? In other words, what's the sign that the end times have begun? And that's what we all want to know. I used to hear all the time as a young Christian, we're living in the end times. And I wanted to ask the pastors, how do you know that? And a few I did. And you'd see them turn red. Well, you can just look at all the signs. But there's actually a sign the totus. And if you haven't listened to my teaching on the Olivet Discourse, you need to go back. Jesus answered these specific questions in the Olivet Discourse. And what we want to know is, are we living in the end times? Has it started? And if it has, what's the sign that it has started? In other words, what event or event signaled that the end of this age, the present age that we're living in, is coming to an end and the Messianic age is going to begin when Christ comes? And Jesus answered all three of these questions. Here are those three. When 
Will Jerusalem and the temple be destroyed, and what will be the sign that it's about to happen? When will Jesus return, and what will be the sign of his coming? And when will the end of this age begin, and what will be the sign that it has begun? Now, here's what's funny, at least it's funny to me. Most Christians want to study the book of Revelation to find out what's going to happen during the end times, but they're not even going to be here for most of it. Why? Because Christians are going to be raptured before the tribulation ever begins. Yeah. And most of the content in the book of Revelation deals with what's going to happen during the tribulation. What Christians should be doing is studying the Olivet Discourse to see if the end of the age has begun. And if it has to determine exactly where we are in the sequence of events leading up to the tribulation and the second coming of Jesus Christ. In other words, to see how close we are to the end, to the tribulation. That's what Christians should be doing so they can be ready and not be caught unaware. In fact, let me read to you the closing portion of the Olivet Discourse from the Gospel of Luke. This is Luke chapter 21, verses 28 through 36. This is a very important passage of Scripture. I would write this passage of Scripture down. After this uh, sermon is over, I would go back and read this. I'd read it several times. Notice what it says. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. Let me tell you, that's what's happening right now. What he's saying is, be careful. Because most of you are so caught up in living a carnal life, in living a physical life, that you don't think about the spiritual side of things. You don't take in consideration your soul. So that's what he's telling you here. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen. And that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Now, I'm going to say something, but I'm not going to dwell on it. It's just something that I need to point out but I don't have time to expound on it. Notice that Jesus likens that day to a trap that closes suddenly, which begs two questions. Number one, what day is he talking about? And number two, why is that day likened to a trap that closes suddenly? Now, let me answer those two questions without expounding on them. That day refers to the rapture. The reason it's likened to a trap is because if you're ready and you're raptured, you escape the tribulation. If you're not ready and you miss the rapture, you're caught or you're trapped on this earth and you have to go through the tribulation. You're trapped on this earth for seven years unless you die. Now, let's read Luke chapter 21 verses 28 through 36 again so that you can see what I just said as we read it. All right? Be careful. Or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on those, on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen. Yeah. If you miss the rapture, you're trapped on this earth and there's no escape. There's no escape except death. But I'm getting off track. All right? So, 
Let's go back to the Olivet Discourse and the three questions the disciples asked Jesus because there's something else I want you to notice. I want you to notice that before Jesus ever addressed any of their questions, he gave them a warning. He said in verse number four, take heed that no man deceive you. You see, Jesus' greatest concern concerning the end times was that people would be deceived. Listen to me. The world is about to enter into a time of great deception. A time that if it were possible, it would deceive even the elect. In fact, deception will be the primary sign that precedes the second coming of Jesus Christ. It will be the greatest threat to mankind during this period of time. Because deception is what is going to keep people from the truth. The truth that will save them. The truth that will keep them from the clutches of the enemy. The truth that will allow them to escape the tribulation that's going to come upon all the earth. In fact, when it comes to the end times, Jesus warns us time and time again, don't be deceived. Anytime Paul teaches on the end times, he's always going to start with and end with, don't be deceived. Why? Because we're getting ready to enter into a time where there is so much deception, the majority of people will be deceived. So, why in the world does he keep warning us over and over again not to be deceived? He keeps warning us because deception is the greatest threat that men will face during this period of time. Let me show you what I'm talking about. And keep in mind that all of these verses that I'm going to be sharing with you are part of the Olivet Discourse. So look at verse number 5. We've read the first four verses. Now we're going to look at the next verse. Here it is, verse 5. For many shall come in my name saying, I am the Christ. Christ means anointed one. It's a messianic title. So what he's saying is many are going to come saying, I am the Messiah. And shall deceive many. Not some, not a few, many. And again, this is right after verse 4 in which he said, take heed that no man deceive you. In other words, take heed that you're not like the majority of people who are deceived. That's going to be the primary sign that precedes the second coming of Jesus Christ. Deception. Now jump down to verse number 11. We're still in the Olivet Discourse. Notice what verse 11 says. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. In other words, before Christ returns, many false prophets will arise and they will succeed in deceiving many. Now move on down to verses 23 and 24. We're still in the Olivet Discourse. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is the Christ, the Messiah, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. These false messiahs and these false prophets will perform great signs and wonders. Miracles, in our words. And we're not talking people parlor tricks. They're going to perform great signs and wonders. The word great is translated from the Greek word megas. And it means great, huge, magnificent, spectacular, to the point that it's unbelievable. Except it's believable. In fact, our word mega is transliterated from this Greek word. Now, notice what these verses are saying. 
These signs and wonders are going to be so great that if it were possible, they would deceive even the elect. And who are the elect? Christians. Born again believers. The big debate among scholars is, is it possible? Hmm. Now, jump over to the book of Luke, chapter 21, because Luke adds something that Matthew leaves out. In fact, when we were going through the Olivet Discourse, if you remember, we went through the book of Matthew because he writes things in chronological order. Luke floats around. He's, he's more, believe it or not, even though he's a Gentile, he floats around like Jews. But he adds information that Matthew left out. Notice what Luke adds. This is verses 25 and 26. And there will be signs in the sun and the moon and in the stars. And on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts felling them from fear, and the expectation of those things which are coming upon the earth. For the power, powers of heaven will be shaken. Now I want you to notice the last part. For the powers of heaven will be shaken. The word powers is translated from the Greek word dunamis. And in this context, it refers to the power that rests upon the armies, forces, or host in the heavens. In other words, it's referring to angelic or demonic forces. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 12, and you'll see what I'm talking about. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the powers, there's that word, powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. All four categories listed in verse 12 dwell in the heavenly realms. Yeah. Now, Jesus said in Luke 21 verse 26 that during the tribulation, People are going to see signs and wonders in the heavens to the point that it seems as if the powers of heaven are being shaken. Saluo in Greek. Now, you might have heard that Greek word pronounced a different way, and let me explain why. Normally, when you're pronouncing Greek, Quinea Greek, you actually do the syllables according to the consonants. So many people will pronounce this saluo. But because there's a diphthong there with epsilon, epsilon, you take the lambda and you put it with the first syllable, okay? So it's saluo. Now, the picture that's being painted with this Greek word is of someone who wants to get the dirt and grass off of the blanket, so they shake it out. The dirt and the grass come off of the blanket and it falls to the earth. So the implication is the demonic forces in the spiritual realm, or hyperspace if you will, will be coming into our dimension. The heavens are being shaken and those forces are manifesting in our world. Remember, Jesus said that it will be like it was in the days of Noah. That's the picture that's being painted. In fact, I want to use this as an object lesson. Many of you thought I was probably going to be baptized. Now, that's later. But I want you to imagine this. Imagine that you go to an outdoor concert or maybe you're going to a, pick a, to a picnic and 
you bring a little blanket and you put the, the blanket on the ground so that you can all sit on it. You don't want to be sitting on the ground. You don't want to get the grass and dirt all over you. So you get on this blanket and when it's time to go, you realize you've gotten up many times. You've kicked grass on it. There's dirt on the underside. So when you get up, you don't just start folding your blanket. What do you do? You sell you owe. You start shaking it. Why do you shake it? You're trying to get the grass and the dirt to fall off of the blanket and onto the ground. Yeah. That's what Saluo means. And the picture that's being painted is that the forces that's in this angelic realm or this um, uh, heavenly realm, they're coming out of the air and they're falling to the ground. They're coming out of the heavenly realm into our dimension. Yeah. Now, let's read Luke chapter 21, verses 25 and 26 again, but let's also read the very next verse 27. And there will be signs. So what signs are we talking about? Signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars. In other words, the heavens. That's a figure of speech to be able to say there's going to be signs in the heavens and the sky. Yeah. And on the earth. Distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. Men's hearts felling them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. And then he tells you for. That Greek conjunction tells you why. He said, here's why their hearts are filling them for fear. Because of these things coming on the earth. For the powers of the heaven will be shaken. There's that word saluo. It's like it's shaking there, and the things that are in the heavenly realm are falling and coming into our dimension. Yeah. Now, let's read verse 27. It's the very next verse. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. Notice what it says in the very next verse. Then, then, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Do you see that? The shaking of the powers in heaven precedes the second coming of Jesus Christ. In other words, it happens during the tribulation and in all probability right after the rapture occurs. Those of you who have been at our church for a long time, you've heard my teaching on eschatology, you know that the tribulation not, does not begin when the rapture occurs. No. When does the tribulation begin? When the Antichrist brokers the peace treaty with Israel for seven years. When you see the seven-year peace treaty, that's when it begins. But the rapture sets it off. There's going to be a period of time, we don't know how long of a period of time before the Antichrist reveals himself and he comes in and he brokers this peace treaty. In fact, most people won't know it's the Antichrist in the very beginning, but he's the one that will broker this peace treaty. Yeah. But what this is telling us here is that the shaking of the powers in the heavens is going to occur during the tribulation and in all probability right after the rapture occurs. And what do you think that is? Is there a strategic purpose for the shaking of the powers of heaven occurring during the tribulation before the second coming of Jesus Christ, but in all probability right after the rapture during this seven-year period? Is there a strategic purpose for the timing of these things? I think there is. And its purpose is to what? Deceive. You see, as a young Christian, 
I always believed that when the rapture occurred, people would know what had happened and they would turn to the Bible for answers. They would finally see that we as Christians are right and they're all going to run to church. But there's no one there except unbelievers. The pastor's gone. The true believers are gone. But you know, now I realize they're not going to know what happened. And as a result, people are going to be deluded. False teachers and false prophets are going to arise. And they will twist the scriptures to explain the rapture, possibly as an alien abduction. In fact, it's already happening. The foundation is already being laid. Books are being written. Seminars are being conducted. Groups are being formed for this very purpose.